Shall we pray? Lord, open thou my, our eyes that we might see wondrous things out of thy law. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I just want to take two verses, one from the Old Testament and the other from the New Testament. And I want to present to you the contrast between the end of an unbeliever and the end of a believer. So the first verse is from the Old Testament in Psalm 37 verse 10. I will just read to you the first part. For yet a little while and the wicked shall not be. For yet a little while and the wicked shall not be. And the other is in Hebrews 10.37 For yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. For yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. These are clear cut statements. Let us take the Old Testament verse first. For yet a little while and the wicked shall not be. In simple English, this verse tells us that in a short time, the wicked will come to a tragic end. But who are the wicked? Let us ask ourselves the question, who are the wicked? Are they the murderers, the adulterers and the robbers? that society classify as the wicked? In such a case, there has to be a marking system to determine at what point faults turn into wicked deeds. You know, as far as man's relationship with man is concerned, there is degree of sin. For example, let us take the case of murder. On the one end of the scale, we have pre-planned, premeditated murder. And then there are murders committed to end a person's suffering. It's called euthanasia. It is the act of causing death painlessly to end suffering especially in cases of incurable, painful diseases. And today it is legalized in some countries, just as abortion is legalized in some countries. In fact, there are people who view this as a good deed. And in between premeditated murder and euthanasia, we have manslaughter. This is the unlawful killing of a human being without malice. You kill a person at the spur of the moment, on provocation, without much thought. And this would be the other category. But then at the other end of the scale, we have what the Lord Jesus Christ said. If you have anger in your heart, 
against your brother, you have committed murder. And it's only a matter of the right conditions for the person to indulge in the act of murder. If you harbor bitterness and anger in your hearts for a sufficiently long time, it can end up in murder. So now you can understand what I meant by the by saying uh, by uh, by the term degree of sin. Under such circumstances, what is the dividing line between a good person and a wicked person? What is the dividing line between a good person and a wicked person? As far as man's relationship with man is concerned, there is degree of sin. And there, therefore, there is a man-made dividing line between the good and the bad. Sometimes, what is good and bad vary from person to person, culture to culture, and country to country. What is legal in one country might not might be illegal in another country. What is acceptable in one culture may not be acceptable in another culture. So, you can see the problem trying to define who is wicked and who is good. So, if we have salvation based on our good works and our good deeds, you, you can see where we are going to end up in. It's going to be a hell of a complicated, a big complicated problem to sort out that matter. Therefore, as far as man's relationship to God is concerned, there is a dividing line between the righteous person and the wicked person placed by God himself. The righteous person, according to the Bible, is one who has repented of his sins and put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and righteousness is imputed by God himself to that person. Even the worst of sinners, if they put their trust in the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be accounted as righteous because they are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And the wicked person who is one who is outside of Christ, who does not recognize reality, who is still in his sin, and does not have anything to do with God and his provision for salvation. And at this point, a little explanation is needed. If we take, for example, Romans 5.19, it tells us, it says this, Whereas by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, Many will be made righteous. Many will be made righteous. By whose disobedience did many become sinners? To get the answer to this, we have to go back to the very beginning. To the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. Where sin entered into the world through one man's sin and death through sin. The first man and first woman created by God were given great freedom. And they were given only one, just one warning. You must not eat 
from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. But then the devil came along and he tempted Adam and Eve to disbelieve and to disobey God's word. And at that point, at that very point, sin entered into this world and fellowship with God was severed, was lost. And instead of a human being being assured, confident and happy, he became ashamed, guilty and afraid. And in one terrible moment, there was a barrier created between God and man. And man died spiritually. And he began to die physically. And now, man has a problem. He has a dead soul in a dying body. And that is a big problem. And this was not all. The children of Adam and Eve, our first parents, inherited, inherited this corrupt nature and sinful character. From then on, like pollution at the source of the river, the poison of sin flowed down to all Adam's, Adam and Eve's descendants. And I don't have to explain it to you. It is evident. If you only read the newspapers, watch TV, listen to the radio, it reminds us of the fact that the world is in a state of utter mess. But wait for a minute. It is easy to condemn violence, injustice, disorder, and all the other wrongdoings in society. It is easy to do that, to point a finger at others. But before criticizing others, let us ourselves take an inward look and see whether we are perfect and living a life that is pleasing to a holy God. Let us do that. And then you will fully agree with the words in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all means all, without exception. Even the greatest of people, the world regards people as great, wonderful. Even the greatest of people this world has produced, they fall short of the glory of God. You and I need to face facts. Many people will almost cheerfully admit to being sinners. But because they have no idea of what sin means. They treat it as being just human nature. After all, my sin is not as bad as so and so sin. After all, my sin is no way like the sin of that murderer, that adulterer and that robber. Or they shelter behind the fact that everybody does it. But do you know Sin is nothing but rebellion against Almighty God. Do you realize that? And the disease of sin has spread to every part of our personality. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. 
and the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, we are told that out of the heart, that is from within, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, blasphemies, and so on and so forth. All these are the things which defile a man. It is not what we consume or take in, but it is what proceeds out of the heart that defiles us. And therefore the root of the problem is not what we do, but what we are. We sin because we are sinners. And the list that I just gave you includes thoughts, words and deeds. And this shows us that in God's sight, all sin is equally serious. In man's sight, there is degree of sin, no doubt. But in God's sight, sin is anything that falls short of God's perfect standards. Therefore, we can be sure that not even the smallest of sins, the tiniest of sins, will ever go unpunished. For yet a little while, the wicked shall not be. So now we know who a wicked person is, according to God's estimation. In the Old Testament, the wicked person, and you get the word wicked occurring so many times in the Bible, the wicked person is someone who did not believe in God or His promises. There are many promises concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. And the faithful, they believed in God's word. God's word made from the very beginning. After man's fall. When Adam and Eve with the, we were clothed with the skins of animals that were killed and blood shed. And that spoke about the coming Messiah, the savior of the world. And then write down the pages of the Old Testament. There are promises concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And the people who did not believe God's word were cons considered as wicked. In the New Testament, all those who are not saved by looking back in faith to the cross where the Savior died for our sins are the wicked. And in short, the wicked of both the Old and the New Testament will come to a disastrous end. That is why it is so necessary to accept the free offer of salvation God is offering us through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God knew the pathetic situation that men and women are in. He looked all around and He saw everybody have gone astray. Not one person had turned to God. All are going their own way like sheep going astray. And God had pity for man because we are his most unique creation. <coughs> and God did something about it. He did not sit there in heaven and say, I love you and do nothing about it. He did something about it. And what he did was so practical and so sacrificial. To send his only begotten son into this world was not a simple thing. He did not come here to have a picnic. He was not born in a hotel. He was born in a manger. And then he grew up as a carpenter's son. 
He knew what it was to be poor. He knew what it was to be rejected by his own people, the Jews. He knew what it was to be deserted. The disciples left him and fled when he was arrested. He knew what it was to be whipped, to be bruised, to be mocked, to be spat upon. He knew all that. Why did, if he was God, if he is God the Son, why did he have to go through all that suffering? That is because of God's love for us. He loved us with an everlasting and a pure love. And God wants to make each one of us righteous. That is his plan. He wants us to move us from a, the wicked category to the righteous category. And somebody had to pay the penalty for our sins. We cannot escape. God is a holy God. He cannot bend the law. He can't twist the law. We can't bribe our way into heaven. And God himself came down in human form. And he paid the penalty for our sins on that cross at Calvary. He willingly and voluntarily gave his life that you and I might be saved. What manner of love is this? And he did not die for a friend. He died for enemies like us. We were, at open, we were in a state of open rebellion against God. But in that state, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. What a wonderful salvation is ours. Those who have accepted Christ as their Savior have, have this righteousness imputed to them. So when God one day views us, He will see us in Christ. He will see us in Christ as being perfect. Just imagine all the horrible things that we have ever committed being blotted out of our lives so that our lives which are as red as crimson now has become as white as snow. Oh Lord, how much we thank Thee for Thy love for us. And by one man's disobedience all human beings were made sinners. But thanks be to God through one man's obedience the Lord Jesus Christ all who trust in Him are made righteous. What a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. Now, if the wicked are those who are outside of Christ, one of the biggest questions that troubles the mind of the believer is why do the wicked prosper? As God's people, why should we not fare better than the unbeliever in this life? We tend to think that prosperity is directly connected or is directly proportional to our spirituality. If we prosper materially, then we say God has blessed us. But if we go through trouble or some crisis in our lives, then we think that we must have done something seriously wrong in God's sight. And this is a completely wrong way of thinking. In fact, the wicked do prosper. And the righteous do suffer. But believers can take heart from the fact that in a very short time, quickly, the wicked shall not be. They shall not be. They will come to a tragic end. And the verse says there, a little while, a little while, the wicked shall not be. The wicked shall not be. In a little while, they will come to a tragic end. 
and a little while cannot be too far off. A 70 year lifespan after all is nothing compared to eternity. The unbeliever might prosper for a lifespan for a period of 30 to 40 years perhaps. For a moment he flourishes and then he is gone. He is like the flower of the grass. It flourishes and comes up so beautifully and then the wind blows and the sun scorches and it is gone. Where are the great people of history? Where is Alexander the Great? Where is Napoleon? Where is Caesar? Where is Hitler? Where is Stalin? They are all gone. They are in hell, rotting away there. Not only was their time on earth ever so brief, but at the end of the life here, doom awaits them. The wicked shall not be. All that they consider worthwhile and good will be taken away from them and they will be tormented forever. And when we consider this, let us not grudge them this short period of prosperity. Let them have a good time. Please allow them to have a good time. Very soon, the wicked shall not be. But even more encouraging to us as believers is the next verse in the New Testament, Hebrews 10.37, For yet a little while, and he that will come will he that will come will not tarry. He will not tarry. In contrast to the tragic end of the unbeliever, the believer has a glorious future ahead of him. A glorious future. One cannot imagine at the coming of the Lord Jesus, the whole picture is going to change. That is why it is necessary for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to wait patiently for God's time. The greatest event every believer is looking forward to is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. No believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has any hope whatsoever that anything will come, good will come out of this present age, this present system. It is only going to be a deteriorating situation. Only the Lord Jesus Christ has the character and the power to be able to put matters right. Only He can rule this world with justice and righteousness. And the verse tells us He will not tarry, not a single second beyond the time that is necessary for Him to fulfill His purposes. And His purposes are glorious. And let us believers wait patiently for God's time. Psalm 62.5 tells us, My soul wait thou only upon God, only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. You see, you and I are living in an age of the instant. We microwave meals, we get quick money from cash machines, we have instant coffee and instant tea and we have become so accustomed accustomed to immediate results and sometimes it's sad to see even believers on the run and perhaps that is why it is so difficult for us to wait on the Lord 
and let him solve our problems. A certain elder in an assembly told of a woman who came to him for advice and about some serious marital problem. And after weighing the situation carefully, he said to her, There are two roads open before you. Two roads open before you. One is to take matters into your own hands and to force the issue. That will bring a speedier solution, but it will result in a broken home. The other road is that of God's choosing, God's ordering of waiting on Him. He may make you to go through a tough time, some testing times. He may make you wait for some time before He works out your problems. Your patience will be severely tested and tried. But in the end, you will have a permanent and a satisfactory solution. And she heeded the advice of her elder. And she began to trust in the Lord through all her trials. And as a result, her faith in the Lord was strengthened. And she began to see God working out her difficulties. God working out solving her situation. You see, waiting expresses trust in God. And things, and it brings quietness to your soul. So, if you are facing insurmountable problems at this point of time, and feel that you are going down the slope of panic, remember that the Heavenly Father acts in the life of the one who trusts in Him in His own time. In His own time. So, waiting patiently on the Lord is so very important. And it is so difficult to observe in this day and age. Therefore, in the light of the two verses I have presented to you this day, Psalm 37.10 For yet a little while and the wicked shall not be. Hebrews 10.37 For in yet a little while he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Let us wait patiently for the Lord to bring to put an end to this mess and to bring to pass his glorious purposes. But for those of you who are still outside of Christ, I have come all the way round the globe to visit you. I don't know you, your problems, your situations. So don't tell me that I am preaching at you because I don't know anything. I want to appeal to you. I want to plead with you. The way is to put your trust in the Lord Jesus. He has paid the penalty for your iniquities. Every sin that you have ever committed, the price has been paid for. It can be murder, it can be adultery, it can be a little lying, a little jealousy, a little anger. Whatever it be, the price for your sin has been paid on the cross at Calvary. And he shed his own precious blood for the remission of your sin. That is love at its highest. And the only thing that you need to do, because God has created you as a free agent. You are not like an animal. You are a free agent. You have your own volition. You have your own free will. You can choose to accept the way of salvation God is providing as a free gift. Or you can choose to reject it.
throw it away out of the window. Take this Bible and throw it out of the window. Go out and do anything you like for a 70-year lifespan and then end up in tragedy. Please accept this offer that God is giving to you freely. Repent of your sins. Recognize that you are a sinner in the sight of a holy God. And accept pardon that he offers you and invite the Lord Jesus Christ into your life. John chapter 1.12 says, If as many as received him, to them gave he power to become children of God, even to them that believe on his name. Shall we pray? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for thy word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, the gospel is so clear. Lord, we want to pray that not a single person will leave this hall without putting his or her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, only the Holy Spirit can convict. We have done our part. We have presented the gospel. Now the ball is in your court. Oh, oh Lord, we pray that men and women will be convicted of their sin and realize their need for a Savior and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his worthy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.